Hi, this is Brett Thornhill. And I'm Jenny Friedman. And you're listening to Technicolor Mindset. Hello, how are you doing today, Brett? I'm doing great, Jenny. How about yourself? I'm doing wonderful. Good, good. What are we going to talk about today? Well, we're going to have a conversation about conversation. Yay! How's that? <laughs> how meta. How meta is that? Exactly. It's metacognition, so this is going to be metaconversation. Does that work? Exactly. Does that work? That works. Okay. So we're going to, yeah, we're going to think about how we participate in conversation, which we don't often do. I mean, we, conversation just kind of flows for most people. It just kind of happens. For individuals with ADHD, what often happens is, generally speaking, we have an over-exuberant sometimes of enthusiasm. So we get into a conversation with someone, and when you're a kid, what often happens is people go, whoa, back up, too much. <laughs> Right. Because that exuberance comes out in a way that can really dominate a conversation. And as you get older, like most things with ADHD, we kind of turn that inward and it turns into a little bit of anxiety about fear that we're dominating a conversation. We're not giving somebody else a ch enough chance to speak. Or sometimes we're told that. It's like you talk so much. And we're often verbal processors, so we need to talk in order to be able to get our thoughts out. That sort of thing. So all of this throughout our lifetime can kind of train us to be really self-conscious about our conversation, not conscious about our conversation, because I think those are two different things. If you're conscious about your conversation, that's what we're talking about here. Give some thought to how you participate. But if you're self-conscious about your conversation, that's going to pull you back. Well, that's what I used to be very self-conscious and very shy. Sure. And do you remember why? Do you remember what it was that made you self-conscious? What made you shy? You know, I just remember being afraid that I would be judged and say something stupid and then be thought of as being stupid. I don't know what made that happen, but like I was always very, very, very shy. I think, we, I think everybody has certain fundamental beliefs about conversation and the way it's supposed to go. And I think some of these beliefs, I think they limit us. They keep us from fully participating in a conversation. One is that there can't be silence in a conversation. We think we've got to fill up every second of silence with something. So oftentimes we stammer, we go off topic, we go on tangents, we do whatever we got to do to make sure there's no silence. That's putting a lot of pressure on yourself to maintain the conversation. Remember, conversation's a two-way street. So each of you has a responsibility to carry that conversation. The other thing is that fundamental thing about conversation is that I think most people see conversation as a series of statements that are made. It's a series of back and forth statements like you say something you believe and I say something I believe and you say something you believe or their statements. They're not often, sometimes they are, but they're not always questions. Yeah. You know, you just reminded me, some people do this annoying thing of the one up. Right. So you'll say something and, and I, that I, makes me think of something that it's not really that I think it's better, but that's, oh, yeah, this happened to me. And then someone else, well, this happened to me. Right. It, sometimes it comes off bad. Yeah. I think what, you know, oftentimes what people are doing then is maybe they're just trying to add, sometimes it can be trying to support somebody in their conversation, right? Yeah, like I know what you mean. This right. has happened to me too, right? And then suddenly you make the conversation about you. Sometimes you don't even mean to do that. <laughs> but it can come off as being really self-centered. Yeah, I, I know people I've talked to and they can talk, boy. I mean, conversation is not their problem as far as getting stuck for words or not being able to fill up silence. Or, but when you walk away from them, you're not left with the feeling this person's a great conversationalist. You're left with the feeling this person loves to talk about themselves. 
This person loves to hear their own voice. They love to hear their own voice because they're not coming at it from a place of, so I'm going to slowly get back to where I was, where I'm saying the second fundamental thing that I think adds to great conversation is curiosity. I think if you maintain a curious frame of mind and if you have two people who are being curious and asking each other questions, then that's going to be a great conversation. And most people will walk away from an individual and say, man, that guy is so easy to talk to. You know, that person is such a great conversationalist. It was such a pleasure talking to him. If you stop and you do the meta thing, <laughs> right? So you think about what it was you were talking about. I bet you'll go back and you'll realize that, you know what? What made them a great conversationalist in your mind was they gave you an opportunity to talk about yourself. Well, yeah, you know, they do say that. People like other people who let them shine. Right. So if you have someone who is generous in a conversation, generosity in a conversation is asking questions, is being curious. And if the other person does the same thing, I mean, there's a bit of a give and take. They can't be all questions. You can't answer a question with a question. No. And in fact, I've heard, um, well, I learned this back in a sales company I was with, that if you want to take power of a conversation, like control the conversation, just ask questions. Yeah. That's power and position in a group just right. be the one to ask questions right and everybody else is then searching their their you know their databases in their heads like thinking of the answer and they're not driving the conversation right so you can own a conversation that way you can own a conversation that way i i taught my kids that like if you're feeling uncomfortable in a in a social situation mm-hmm. turn it around and you start asking questions but isn't it ironic that what we're talking about here is owning a conversation and controlling the conversation. Yet if you ask questions and you're curious and you're asking the other person for responses, they will not walk away and say that person dominated the conversation. That person owned the conversation. No, not at all. They're going to think you're great. It's the opposite. It's like, wow, that person was so easy to talk to. And they, because for one thing, you're giving the other person the chance to say, I don't have to think about what I'm going to say. I don't have to fill up the silence because you're going to ask me a question and I'm just going to respond to it. So that's easy, you know? And if you have both people that are doing that in a conversation, then that makes for an ideal conversation. So I guess the point is, we feel like we have to fill up a conversation with knowledge and with displaying what we know and uh, imparting our thoughts on other people. And if you go into any sort of an interaction with someone as an opportunity to learn and be curious, then I think it leads to great conversation. I really do. So- it does. Go ahead. No, it just, it does. <laughs> <laughs> does. I agree with you. How does it, Jenny? Because <laughs> I feel like I'm dominating the conversation now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm curious. So what made you want to talk about this today? This has been an issue for me in the past. Um, I had a client who really had this issue and would just mull over so spend so much time mulling over what she was going to say in her head that if she was with a group of people, first of all, by the time she finally figured out what she wanted to say to contribute, the subject had changed and she just wasn't cutting herself any slack at all. She spent all of her time trying to figure out what she could add to the conversation as opposed to what she could take from the conversation. And when you think about what you can take from the conversation, then you will naturally become curious and start to ask questions. And those come a lot more naturally because they're responding in the moment. 
So I think with ADHD, a lot of people, we have difficulty with language anyway. We have difficulty sometimes formulating our thoughts and we make these intuitive leaps. So we may say something and to use the phrase I use all the time, you can suck all the oxygen out of the room, right? You say something because you've made Oh this my God, tell that story because that was so sad. But I think a lot of people might, it might resonate with them. Oh, okay. I, I haven't mentioned that. I thought I'd mentioned that on a previous, but even if I have, it doesn't matter. Uh, no, I, I once had a job and um, spent a lot of time you know, in brainstorming sessions and that kind of thing. And um, a lot of time actually on teleconference and, and things. It was kind of ironic because when I first started with this company, I was told you're really good on the phone because you, you say something and it lands. You know, it, it like, it makes people go, hmm? you know, that sort of thing. So I was told that at first. And then I don't know what happened. Something changed. And suddenly a little while later, and it was one of the reasons I left the company actually. Um, and I felt really horrible about it for a long time. It took me a long time to resolve this in my own mind that this was not my fault. I was literally told by somebody that when I speak, I can sometimes suck the oxygen out of the room. Yeah, that's so rude. It was, well, I didn't know, quite know how to take it. I, I didn't, you know, what, what the hell does that mean? But I think a lot of people with ADHD sometimes feel that way because when you say something and it doesn't land and everybody goes quiet, which often happens when you have ADHD, because why? You're making intuitive leaps. You're two to three steps ahead of a lot of the people that are in the room. Well, I, I can say from experience, I've had people actually, uh, some of my clients, they're like, you're the ADHD whisperer because you understand what I'm. Right. What I'm trying to say, because it seems off topic to the other person. Right. And I come in and do sort of like this, this is how it's relating, because some people just aren't that quick, you know, they don't get it. Well, I mean, forget the fact that you, you happen to not have ADHD. You speak ADHD fluently. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, you do. I mean, you understand it, you get it. For someone who doesn't have it, I guess, you know, I, I've never met anybody who can get inside and appreciate the mind as much as you can. And I think everyone can benefit from thinking this way is that generally speaking, people, when they're talking to you, they're not off topic. They may be having an association for them that you're unaware of. Right. But by giving the benefit of the doubt and saying, okay, I don't really see how this is related quite yet, but I'm sure it is. Yeah. It usually comes up because if we were talking about something having to do with the riches of the Orient back in the day, and all of a sudden you're talking about a movie, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and then all of a sudden you went to talking about Chinese food. I mean, yes, everyone would say, oh, the theme is China, and they're coming up with all these right. associations. But sometimes those associations aren't that cut and dry. Sometimes it's it seems less associated. <laughs> and I don't think this is exclusive to ADHD, by the way. I think everybody- It's has not. It's when they're having these intuitive leaps. But I mean, I, it's funny. <laughs> there are times when I'm having a conversation with my wife and she, she's had thoughts in her head, but she hasn't said them out loud. But she, and I'm, this is nothing, we have a laugh out of this because she'll say something and it's almost as if she could preface it with, and another thing, by the way, and she starts going off and I'm going, what was the first thing? I don't remember you put it in her head, right? And she said, I didn't say that out loud. Oh, no, I was thinking about this. And then, but she says the second part, you right. know? Um, so I think that happens whether you have ADHD. <laughs> you can make those leaps sometimes. I just think like a lot of things, I mean, ADHD symptoms are not different than 
neurotypical behavior, they just happen more frequently and they happen to be a little more disruptive oftentimes because of the, either the frequency or the degree to which. Well, and you know, and honestly, it can be completely off topic. If the topic bores you and your mind wanders to something else and then it really isn't related, right. that does happen. Right. So, so yeah. I think that if you're curious in a conversation, it first of all gives you something to focus on. You want to listen to what the other person is saying because you want to be curious and you want to be able to ask them questions. It's a generous form of conversation because it allows the other person to speak. It keeps the conversation flowing. You know, you can even come up, you can even rehearse a little bit, like come up with a couple of stock questions that you ask when you meet somebody, you have the same scenario over and over again when you meet somebody for the first time, right? You're going to have exactly the same kind of thing. You can come up with a stock. Okay. Here are like five, six, seven general questions that I ask when I meet somebody, you know, it could be, uh, what do you do? Where do you live? Uh, what do you like to do in your spare time? And that will start the conversation at least going. And then you can start to respond to whatever it is they're doing. And if you can get out of your own head enough to not be trying to formulate, spend that last 20 to 30% of what they're saying, trying to formulate your thoughts, what you're, how you're going to respond, actually listen to what they say, then that will make for a better response on your part. So if you have five or six stock questions that you ask when you first meet somebody, I would be willing to bet that you won't get through all five or six. Oh, I agree. I, start, I even say stock words. Like I tell people all the time when you're thinking of something to say, just put the word how, and then think of a question after it. Yeah. That's even and better. that's very like sometimes a challenge to do. It's not, it, it's not as easy. Like it's very easy to do if you're curious, it's not easy to do if you're not. So if you're not, and you're challenged by that, you might realize, ooh, this is a good exercise to try to get into. Right. Asking someone how something about what they're talking about has either come to be or how does that work or you know, how did you decide to do that or anything. I don't know where these beliefs come from, but I think we're also stuck sometimes with a belief that to ask a question is to demonstrate ignorance. Oh. And that's such a crock. You know? Yeah, no, they always say the smart people are the ones that ask questions. I absolutely think that asking questions demonstrates interest, not ignorance. But I think that many people feel that way. It's like, I can't ask that question. It might be a stupid question. Maybe there's something I just don't understand. Maybe so there's all this self-talk going on. Meanwhile, the conversation is con continuing and you're missing it. And <laughs> you know what you just made me think of? You got all this self-dialogue going on, you know, this inner dialogue going on. Um, you having a great conversation with yourself. <laughs> yeah. Look, the other day, let me tell you what happened. The, my son and I are sitting in the car and we're waiting for my husband to come out from the seafood store with clams. Mm -hmm. Next door to the clam store is this empty building. And it's, it's got big like American flags in it because there's nobody renting it right now. Mm -hmm. And he goes, what's that building? And I said, oh, it must be for rent because it's empty. No, there's no business in it. He goes, oh, so we could, we could do something in there. I go, yeah, we could. You want to you wanna start a business and put a business in there? He goes, yeah. I go, what kind? He goes, oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he was curious until all of a sudden it's like, I need specifics. And it's like, oh, I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Mom, I started the conversation. You have to finish it. It's <laughs> <laughs> I just kept asking questions because it was so cute. Fantastic. He's 11. Yeah. And sometimes some of the things he says is still so cute. Yeah. So I, I think 
give yourself a break. Actually listen to what's being said, which is tough. But one of the things that makes it tough, and this goes back, you know, so much of what we talk about goes back to mindfulness and just being aware and being in the moment. And oftentimes not listening to what the person you're having the conversation is saying comes about because you're spending too much time trying to figure out what you're going to say to them. Right. Trusting yourself. Why don't I just listen to the question? I, I use the interview example all the time. It's like when I was younger and I went to interviews, I tried to anticipate what the questions were going to be. I tried to anticipate what my answers were going to be. And honestly, I went into the interview and I don't even know if I heard what they were asking me because I was just listening for keywords so that I could give them the phrase that I had. <laughs> right. That's all. It's like, Ooh, you're on SEO okay. mode. Right? Exactly. Completely, completely. As I got older and I got more mature, well, at least somewhat more mature, I guess. depends on who you talk to. Right. Uh, <laughs> I would go into an interview and decide, okay, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to listen to the question. I'm going to allow myself to pause. I may even say to the interviewer, um, just give me a second. I need to think about this for a second. And then I'm going to formulate my own opinion of what he's just asked me because a, it shows that I'm listening and that I want to be careful. So it's not, it doesn't demonstrate ignorance. It demonstrates interest and it demonstrates a certain amount of thoroughness. I think critical thinking skills, critical thinking still skills can do all that. Right. Secondly is if you've prepared a bunch of answers that you think they want to hear just so that you'll get hired, then you're going to ace the interview. You're going to get hired. You're going to be miserable working there because the answers don't line up with your core values and what you think is the truth. And you just gave them the answers to get the, the job. You don't belong there. If mm. I listen to the question and I actually think about it and I trust my own instincts, my own knowledge, my own intelligence, that it's going to bubble up. I'm going to tell you what I think the right answer to that question is. Th this doesn't apply to technical questions, obviously, but I mean, you know, more kind of general personalities. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what I think the right answer to that question is. And if you vehemently disagree with that, viewpoint, then we shouldn't be working together. But how often do we not even listen to the question? We're just like, oh, there's a keyword. Boom. Here's my stock answer that I've rehearsed. Yeah. So listen to what's being said. Spend the time that you would have spent maybe formulating all of your answers so that you can be 10 seconds ahead of the conversation because you're scared to death of silence. Spend that time listening and actually hearing what they say and give yourself enough space to be able to formulate your opinions, trust your own thoughts. Trust oh, your absolutely. I, I have a client that um, is producing a summit right now and I coach around the, the idea of being this great interviewer um, is someone who does not have preset questions, mm -hmm. someone who actually just listens to what the other person's saying right. and then gets really curious about what's being said. There's like, an amazing flow and they they hit gold every time you weren't even expecting a conversation to go that way right and stay as we say in coaching unattached to the outcome right don't try to force it that interplay that dance you do with someone in the art of conversation it is fun and it's stimulating and you can get so much out of it more than you put into it if you're really doing it right Absolutely. I agree. That's the only way that you get to follow a trail. You get to follow something that just comes up and you get to, that's how you get to learn. If you stay on the stock path, you're gaining nothing new from this. And yeah. it's less nerve wracking. Absolutely. It's, it's a matter of trust. I think it's a matter of learning how to trust. It is. I was yourself. just about to say, it's really trusting yourself that yeah. you can do this. Yeah, absolutely. And we're telling you, you can, you can do this. So that's conversation. That happened to be a conversation where Jenny and I just made a bunch of statements, didn't ask a whole bunch of questions, um, <laughs> ironically enough. 
but I'd love to hear what other people think of this. I'd love to hear if they have that experience of difficulty with conversation, difficulty formulating their thoughts. Wait, I just had a question. Oh, go right ahead. And I will listen to it and critically think and answer it. So what is one of your stock questions that when you meet someone, you're going to ask? The one stock one that I always go back to, and it usually leads to something else in most cases is like, what do you do? You know, what do you do for a living? What do you, you know, tell me about yourself. What do you do for a living? Uh, where are you from? If you don't know the person, you know, how do you know this person who's hosting the party? Because obviously you have this person in common and, or you have somebody in common. So finding out just that first little nugget of information about them. Who are you? What do you do? How do you, you know, how'd you come to be here tonight? Whatever that kind of thing. You know what mine is? What? So what fun thing happened to you today? That's a great one. Yeah, it is a great one because it can really, really lead to some wild conversations. I bet it can. I bet you it can throw some people, but I bet you it doesn't. Oh, they always do that. They go, but well, I guess if I have to tell you something, you know, this is. Right. That's much more interesting than mine. I think I get prompted by, I, I, maybe I go into a situation, just hope to hell that that person can ask the first question. I don't know. Because <laughs> you know me, I, I think my strength is responding. I'm like the train, the locomotive that needs some momentum to grease the wheels. And then once the momentum gets going, boy, oh boy, oh boy. You can jump into a relationship in the middle and build it from the beginning there rather than worrying so much about the linear way of who are you and where are you from and the resume questions yeah. that are sort of, yes, there's right answers, but it can leave you high and dry at a party. Yeah. I used to do that. You'd ask all the regular questions and then the two of you are left like, doo-doo-doo, looking around the room. Meanwhile, if you jump right in with something, a with almost an assumption, an assumptive tone. Yeah. So what was the best thing that happened to you today or something? They don't even need to know you, but the look you get, they're like, wait, you don't even know me. And well, let me answer this question. And before right. you know it, you fast friends. Right. Yeah. Because it's, it, cause it's a familiar question to ask. Right. Mm -hmm. And sometimes look disruption. It, it's disrupting. And that's pattern. disrupting. That's disrupting. And I think disruption is a great thing. I think if we embrace disruption more, then we won't spend so much time. Oh, let's talk about that next week because you know what? I got a whole bunch of stuff to say about that. Okay, great. That's next week's topic. We already know. It. We already know. Wow, this is a first. All right. Well, thanks very much for joining us, guys. Uh, we appreciate it. Hit us up on our Facebook page, Jenny. It's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Technicolor Mindset. Great. So we'll go in there and tell us what you think of the episode. Tell us what it is that in any of the challenges that you might have, the conversational challenges, give us your suggestions for great opening questions. That'd be great. Oh, as well. I would love that. Yeah. And, uh, and we'll have a little chat about it. It's great talking to you again today. Oh, you too. Bye, Brett. All right. Take care. Cheers.